2: Today's show is brought to you in part by DoorDash. Long day at work? Stuck at the office? Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get five dollars off their first order of fifteen bucks or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. That's L O C K E D O N.
0: You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
2: How's it going? Welcome to episode number 571 of Locked Out Raptors for Thursday, September the 26th. I am your host, Shaw Woodley of uh, raptorshq.com you can find me on twitter as always at woodley find the show at locked on raptors where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast and of course please make sure you're checking out the locked on podcast network we've got team focus shows for all 30 nba teams we've got the locked on nfl network if you are a football fan you can find a team focus show there talking about the team that you like the most We have Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd, if you're getting ready for your drafts. And the Locked On NHL Network is coming your way. Starting September 30th, we've got... About a dozen hosts lined up as of right now, but probably a lot more by the time we get to launch day on Monday. Very exciting. Lots of teaser episodes available right now. So give a little look-see on your favorite podcast provider and see if the team that you like in the NHL is available for listening. And if not, stay tuned because it will be at some point soon over the course of the first month or so of the season, I hope. All right. On today's show, we are diving into another Pressing preseason question for the Raptors going into the 2019 20 season. And joining me to talk all about Pascal Siakam and his role as the number one on the team and various other Pascal Siakam related questions and topics, it is our pal, Vivek Jacob. How is it? How's it going, buddy?
3: It's going pretty good. Good um, stuff. Yeah. Another day, another dollar. That's the good life
1: as a full time journalist, which feels nice. Yeah. Uh, um, can't take it for granted, and yeah,
3: ready to get the season started. Media day Saturday, and yeah, it'll feel like everything is on the go again.
2: Are you excited for media day?
3: Not quite as excited as I was for last year's media day. <laughs> where are
2: they? Where are they holding it this year? Because last year, with all the Kawhi hoopla, they had to do it at Scotiabank Arena. I would imagine it's a bio steal now this no. year.
3: Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, might have to go back and check my emails. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's at know, yeah, A little bit of a bummer compared to last year, but I think it'll be exciting for different reasons, and there's a lot to look forward to this season, I think. And, again, I think it's just going to be fun because at least for this season, we all get to sort of still... Live and bask in the glory of being of the Raptors being NBA champions and being defending champions, and so we just get to run the victory lap.
2: It is what this is. It's a victory lap season. It's the Hakuna Matata season. It is the stress-free sort of like runway after the title that uh, I think the team deserves, and I think that fans deserve after. Six very, very stressful years of rooting for a playoff team that was there every year and uh, oftentimes was very disappointing at certain points during the postseason. So bask in it, enjoy it all, and uh, continue to milk it for all it's worth. And part of the milking process is going to be watching this sort of new iteration of the team come together and sort of the fun little bits and bobs that are going to comprise this very new look roster. Not so much new look, just sort of newly configured around a different player, and that is Pascal Siakam. Obviously, Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol are going to be big parts of what this team does as well. Uh, OG Ananobi, Norm Powell, Fred Van Vliet, yada, yada, yada. But Pascal Siakam is very clearly going to be the number one option on this team this season, and that brings up a whole bunch of interesting-slash-pressing preseason questions for this team. And so... We can go a whole bunch of different directions here, but maybe let's start, Vivek, with the question of his extension. That is still looming. The deadline, of course, is, I think, like just like the night of the season beginning or sometime in October. I'm not sure the ex- exact deadline, but sometime around when the season begins. And they have the deadline to extend him If not, he will go into next summer And he will be knocking on restricted free agency The Raptors will still obviously have right or first refusal If someone th- throws an offer sheet at him Or they could also just sign him before he signs any offer sheets um, But in terms of the extension stuff I know we've talked about it a little bit on previous episodes With the, with the mailbags and stuff But let's just dive into it full on here a. Do you think they will give Pascal Siakam an extension before the season, and if so, for how much? And B. Should they give him an extension before the season?
3: Um. A. I do not think that they will give him an extension before the season begins. Mm-hmm. Uh. I do think that there's a uh, there's a way to create a clearer plan by waiting till next summer. Um, and I think, you know, especially when you look at wanting to see where this team is at, say, come you know December, January, and figuring out what's what with Lowry and Gasol and Ibaka and Van Vliet as uh, players on the last year of their deals, I think it just makes much more sense, and it's just a bit more prudent to wait until next summer, uh, um, and be should they give him an extension. Uh, He is certainly deserving of one, Mm -hmm. uh, based on what he's been able to do with his career thus far, Uh, but from an organizational perspective, for the reasons that I have mentioned, uh, no.
0: Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery
2: Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's a pressing need to do it before the season starts. I guess you do run a couple risks if you don't do it. One is that I guess you risk, like, pissing off Siakam and his camp, which I suppose is something you have to consider in this day of player empowerment and all that stuff. Like, you don't want to sour any relationship there, obviously. And Siakam figures as though he's going to become one of those types of players who could potentially flex his muscle and his leverage to get himself to a situation he'd prefer to be in. Also, I guess the risk that you're running is that next summer some other team comes in and throws an opera sheet. And I know Brian Windhorse was talking about this. There was a clip on The Jump or something that I uh, heard earlier on this week about how, like, if that happens, you know, you can't really control the bonuses. You can't really control, control the structure. You could end up, like, the Otto Porter deal where it's, like, very weirdly structured and, like, you got strange amounts of money in certain years and whatnot. That's all fair, but I think that's kind of overstating that risk. I, I think... If you don't give Siakam a, a, like the extension this year, I would assume considering Masai's relationship with him and considering the team's relationship with him and sort of their investment in him, I would assume there's some sort of like handshake, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Look, dude, we're going to take care of you next summer. It just makes more sense for us right now to go into next summer with your $7 million cap hold on the books as opposed to a you know 25 to $30 million cap hit. And look, there's a risk as well for the Raptors in not giving him one too, right? Because, I'm sorry, if they do sign him to one as well, if they sign him to one, there's the chance that he becomes like a a player who's maybe not worth that. I I mean, we'll talk about his progression this season, but there's also like, there's just no guarantee he's going to have some sort of linear progression. You know, we've talked about how he's 25, 26 years old, a little bit older in terms of an aging curve for players. Maybe this is just what he is. Maybe he is a perfect number two option who's never going to be number one, and then how do you want to sort of reconcile that, and what do you want to pay for a guy like that you know there's uh, if you do sort of lock him into a deal as well you know or if you wait till next summer maybe you're sort of costing yourself a little bit more money in terms of like what you could get him for right now as opposed to next summer but ultimately I think the risks of not signing him right now are really not that serious and like if you're going to sign him for 25 to 30 million right now anyway what is really the difference of signing him to a max deal next summer if he proves that he's worthy of it so I think the difference there is not all that appreciable as well so yeah I don't think it's necessary I think the best way to go forward here is to sort of just wait and see and you know have him prove it and again like maybe that pisses him off because he feels like he proved it this past season and that would be totally fair I suppose but I kind of trust the relationship management of Masai with Pascal and his camp to not let that thing sour and again sort of have that sort of understanding in place that we're going to take care of you when the time comes and this is just in the best best interest of the team right now in particular for you as we go forward if you're going to be the main guy in this team it makes more sense to us for us to have more flexibility next summer as opposed to tying up some of that flexibility to take care of you now does that make sense?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, again, when you look at the organizational perspective, um, as a whole, when you look at restrictive free agents, part of the risk that you run uh, with other teams is when they throw the bag at a player that's maybe not quite worth it. And, you know, with the the way Siakam has progressed, you you expect him to be sort of in that range um, after this season. So, your worst-case scenario is, you know, giving money and matching a deal that is probably in line with your expectations anyway. So, um, and when you look at this season, when you look at, you know, Nick Nurse saying he wants to challenge Siakam to be the man, um, if he does end up being the man, then that restricted free agent money is going to be, you know, you're more than happy to pay up that amount. So Mm -hmm. I think... For the Raptors, I think this is the right play Uh, in terms of the risk of, you know, maybe uh, annoying uh, people on his team or whatever it may be. um, I think Masai will handle that. I I, (laughs) I think that Masai and Siakam have a strong enough relationship to where that won't be an issue. And I think Siakam's a smart enough guy to where um, if you explain the reasoning uh for why you're doing this and you understand the big picture then you probably he'll probably be in line to go with it understanding that you know they are also giving him a huge opportunity here to make this his team Mm -hmm.
2: and i guess like if you're like the raptors as well and, and sort of on the side of giving it to him right now like if i'm just trying to see it from both sides like you could just pay them, and you're still going to have a lot of money coming off the books next summer. You're still going to have a lot of room to work with. You won't have two max slots necessarily, but it's not like next summer is the time where you really want to have max slots. Obviously, cap space is valuable for all sorts of reasons at any time, but it kind of becomes like just surplus goods at that point where it's like yeah do we need this much cap space like is 90 million really what we need next summer and like there's no way to really roll that over to 2021 which is like the real summer you're trying to sort of direct yourself towards because Siakam's gonna be making money that summer anyway um before we get into sort of the development of him this season and what he's gonna look like in the offense I want to touch quickly on the piece from Michael Pina at SB Nation. He wrote about about Siakam this week, and he talked about how Siakam is very interesting and potentially could be an interesting trade piece for the Raptors, which was a little jarring to read, and good job on SB Nation for uh, writing a headline that was not really at all what Michael was talking about in his very good piece, which you should check out. Um, But he brought up the the idea of potentially the Raptors midseason thinking... Maybe this is the way that we sort of re-figure ourselves, reconfigure ourselves That is for the future to try to get an actual star. If they don't view Siakam to necessarily be that, maybe the market this season in a year where a lot of teams fancy themselves contenders will sort of bear itself out where you could get something really substantial in return for Siakam and then go forward with a different sort of collection of assets that maybe in aggregate... Better sets you up for the future than just having Siakam on the team would. Um, what did you think of the piece? Do you think that's like on the table that the development for Siakam will sort of not take him to the point where he's like an untouchable in a trade? Like, what did you think of the piece for Michael?
3: Um, I really enjoyed the piece. Really well written. Um, I think when you look at Siakam. There's definitely there's definitely a scenario where he looks more like uh, the second best player on a championship team than someone that could, that is you know the A one uh, guy mm-hmm. and there is a scenario for him to develop into being that A one guy so um, I think that's sort of the risk that uh, Masai has to manage uh, this season in evaluating and timing. When to go for a deal, when you know whether or not to go for a deal, and I think what is interesting here is you know when you look at Kyle Lowry and you look at uh, Marcus Sew and Serge Baca and Fred Vliet and figuring out when when it's whether or not it's time to try and cash in on one or if not more of those guys it kind of stands out more and more that a key to all of this is OG Ananobi mm-hmm. um, because you really want to see what he can be um, can he be uh, the fourth best player on a championship team the third best player um, can he be the second best player on a championship team, With all these things it, you, you sort of need to figure out and you know you probably don't have the answer to that question in december or january but um you can at least get a better gauge of where his game is at uh by then as opposed to where he was after year two because let's face it that second season is one that you almost just sort of red shirt mm-hmm. uh and try to just sort of move on from uh the, the rookie season and then see what he, he gives you this year so uh, I think O.G. Annobi is, is a big key here. I don't think Siakam is one that you would look to move, I think. Uh, when you look at Masai's mindset, uh, I don't think he's the tanking type. And I think if you're really looking to blow it up like that and, and get rid of Siakam, then um, that is sort of the mode that you enter. And then you're just sort of selling the farm and really, really rebuilding. So, uh, I think I, I think Pascal is pretty safe, uh, regardless of how it goes down. I, I think those other four guys are the ones to watch out for in terms of where the Raptors are at. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it's more in terms of a size evaluation of you know, can he be the second best player on the team? Can he be the best player on the team? And I think he'll just. Act according to that. If I don't, I don't think he would sacrifice Siakam as the second best player to get the best player uh, in a deal.
2: Yeah, and I also well, think with the,
3: with, with the and that's the thing, right? It's not like you you would trade Siakam and get the best player in a deal instantly you're, you're trading for the promise and potential of a best player right
2: yeah definitely and some of the examples that michael laid out were say the pedal pelicans throw in like a couple of those lakers picks in like lonzo ball and Nikhil alexander walker or something like that which is very clearly like a reset type of trade if you're the raptors and then the same would go for yeah. if like the thunder were trying to give you a whole bunch of their uh, Acquire picks from the Clippers because they prefer the sh- sort of sure thing that is Siakam as opposed to those sort of far off picks. Um, ultimately, one I thing, kind of. I think I will say. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: um, obviously, don't, don't want this to happen by any means, but uh, Trey Young, Pascal Siakam, and John Collins would make for a very fun unit to watch. <laughs> um, Spicy P and Hot Lana seems like a, a match made in heaven. It's a very rich that, marketing. It's, it's,
2: yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I think, you know, Michael laid out many different sort of scenarios for the Raptors to sort of go about their future in his piece. And ultimately, I think I come down on the idea of them sort of using Pascal as a piece to potentially lure more talent and sort of or their cap space to lure more talent to put around him, whether it's via trade or free agency. And he did make mention in there of the fact that the Raptors have not had much success trade-wise in a long time, or ever, and that's fair. They've not been a free agent destination, Kawhi just walked away after winning a title, that probably paints them in a pretty poor light, but, like, you wrote about this, I think, last week, actually, and you were on uh, Zoobz's podcast, but for sports to talk about this, the Raptors are putting themselves in the position in this era where it seems like market matters not nearly as much as just, like, the competence with which you are run, They're putting themselves in a place to be one of those marquee destinations. And being in Toronto certainly doesn't hurt that. It's a very good city. And I think what we saw during the playoff run last year is that, you know, you're going to be absolutely adored if you play here and have success as well. And maybe that's the case anywhere, but it feels especially true in Toronto based on recent evidence. And maybe this is all being viewed through post-championship rosé-colored glasses, but like, it does feel like Toronto... Maybe the, the perception is that they're not a good destination, but I have a hard time believing Masai doesn't think it's a destination. That's So that's why I ultimately think you use this season as a bit of a runway, as a bit of a sort of learning and testing ground, and you see what what Pascal Siakam is, and then you sort of see what complementary pieces you need around him. Do you need secondary stars? Do you go after like a Bogdan Bogdanovich or a Jalen Brown in restricted free agency next summer because you think Pascal can clearly be a number one? I don't think that's necessarily likely, as we'll get to. But maybe there's a situation where he proves himself as a very clear number two once again. And then you look and say, all right, we know we absolutely need a star to start a pair with him. And then his development is such that some guy out there looks at him and says, yeah, I want to play with that guy. That guy just won a title next to Kawhi as his number two or two and a half, however you view him and Lowry. That's the guy I want to go you know, hitch my wagon to for the next four years and try to win a title with the Raptors. I ultimately think that's going to be
0: available on youtube and wherever you get podcasts part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
2: um let's now pivot into the actual development of pascal siakam this season and what he's going to look like and how it's all going to work with the raptors offense you know, Michael, again, made a lot of points in that piece, and shouts to Michael, friend of the podcast, multi-time guest. We'll get him on again sometime soon. Um, thanks for helping us fill the content today, pal. Uh, he, he mentioned in that piece that, that Siakam is very good at a lot of things. He's not really been asked to do a lot of things, though. He hasn't been asked to really run pick and rolls and things like that. He hasn't been tasked with being a high-usage number one option. His usage rate last season was about 205 half. That is, you know, not super high. <laughs> like, it's going to go up this season quite a bit. And if you look at how the Raptors have sort of oriented themselves in the past, DeMar Rosen's been around 30%. Kawhi Leonard's been around 30%. And I, I think they're going to try to play a little more egalitarian this year and probably go something towards what they did in 2017 18 if they can. But. Like the the, the structure of the team, the structure of most teams is that you're going to have one high usage guy who kind of flirts with 30%. And that figures to be Siakam because I don't think Lowry's at the stage of his career where he can really do that. So my question to you is, what does it look like? Do you think it's going to be successful? Do you think it's going to be a letdown? Do you think there's a chance that he both breaks out and regresses at the same time? (laughs) Like how do you think Pascal Siakam number one option will ultimately look once we start to see it a month from now?
3: Yeah, I, I think there's gonna be some uh, growing pains as far as the playmaking is concerned, just because you know this is this is a new role for him and it's this is the toughest step to take, right? To become that uh, true franchise level player, that elite player that can carry an offense, that can um, execute in the half court at a at a high enough rate and so I do think there are going to be some growing pains but at the same time uh, I think one thing that can become a strength for his playmaking and for the Raptors offense uh, in general is what was a strength for the team last year and so the same way that you knew that Kawhi was the number one option and then on a different night it could be one of Siakam Lowry Gasol Ibaka Fred mm-hmm. now you've moved Siakam one spot but the other guys are still able to do that in my opinion mm-hmm. I, I I still think Lowry and Gasol are good enough to have their own nights so after Siakam you know he's still gonna have enough threats around him uh, in terms of Lowry providing a threat in terms of Gasol providing a threat Ibaka um We'll see what OG brings to the table. We know Fred can be a threat. So uh, I think the depth for the Raptors is something that shouldn't be forgotten here. And I think that is something that um, that showed when the Raptors went 17-5 and in the absence of Kawhi. And I think we're going to see the offense look a bit more like that. Uh, and, you know, whether or not that is the best way to go about uh, executing your offense in the postseason is something that remains to be seen. Um, we'll see where Pascal's uh, three-point jumper is. I think that's the big question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we, And we've also seen him, uh, you know, in all these Rico Hines videos, uh, have, you know, jab steps and one-on-one moves and then pull up in the mid-range. So that's another thing I'm excited to see uh, where that is at. Because, uh, again, what, I think one thing that we learned last year, and we I, I think we've seen it a little bit over the past few years, is the true elite offensive threats are able to you know take anything the defense gives you Mm -hmm. so uh you know one of the reasons i feel the rockets have failed is because they you sort of know their hand going in right they want to shoot a lot of threes they want to shoot shoot a lot of layups and if you give them the mid-range you know they'll sort of punish themselves and take tough threes or um, force it in the paint and they just, they just won't shoot that mid-range shot so if Siakam uh, can be a threat from the mid-range if he can hit enough of those triples I think that is where uh, you see the difference between someone who can be the second or third best player on a team and someone who can be uh, the best player on a championship team
2: yeah totally I think those counters and just sort of the off the dribble game is going to be incredibly important for him this year and He kind of, to me, has sort of DeRozan-y vibes in that it just feels like he's going to add something every single year. And maybe that's premature. Maybe that's recency bias just having watched DeMar play for so long and just assuming that applies to everybody, which it probably doesn't. Um, But he just sort of has that vibe to me. And you could see him sort of workshopping with stuff last year. You could see it even in the playoffs, in the finals. There were little instances where, oh, yeah, no, there's a little 18-footer. And honestly, even more so than... Like, the three-point shot, which, like, I don't really ever expect him to be, like, an off-the-dribble three-point shooter. That's really hard to do, especially that size. I I think more important than anything is going to be, like, the the off-the-dribble 18-footers because he has the spin move down. He has the drives to the basket down. He has those kooky little eight-foot weird-ass obtuse angle off-glass buckets down. And I don't know. That's one thing I'm curious to see if, like, that was just weird randomness last season that he hit all of those fucking shots but he like if he can cont- continues that obviously that's that's incredible and he's got great touch so maybe he can um but for me he's got all that around the basket stuff down it's when you get to that that, that like sort of 6 to 10 out to 18 foot range that is where it's really going to sort of be imperative on him to have those counters because teams are going to be ready for that spin move. Teams are going to be ready for him to go to the basket. And if he's able to sort of keep them honest and keep them off the, on their toes by being able to pull up from 16, 18 feet, that is going to change everything for him because that opens up that Absolute. whole array of moves to the basket once again. Um, and then also, you know, the, the passing that comes out of those things as well. You know, if teams are going to be able to just sort of like smother him and, and sort of know exactly what he's going to do, he's got to be able to make those reads out of those decisions as well. And I think he's got pretty good decision-making skills too. And I think he's pretty quick and he, you know, especially with those little big to big passes and stuff like that, I think him and Gasol are going to have a field day this season. Uh, I think those little baseline cuts that OG is so good at are going to be a big part of the offense once again as well. And Pascal is going to a feast off of those as well. And, and so... The more he can sort of work in that intermediate range, is that's going to be the most important thing to me. And look, I think there's going to be growing pains. He had a 63 true shooting last season. He's not going to shoot 63 true shooting this season. Like, I just don't think that's going to happen with the usage yeah. increase he's going to have. But considering, you know, that... Okay, I think the the numbers he put up in the playoffs were a little bit sort of misleading. I think overall they were pretty good, but there were some series and some matchups where he didn't look very good. But you have to consider the defensive competition. It's the playoffs where things are ratcheted up. And also it was Joel Embiid, Jonathan Isaac, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Draymond Green as the four guys who guarded him primarily throughout the entire postseason. That matters, and that's not going to... Like that's obviously gonna reflect reflect poorly on his numbers. That's not gonna be the case for him all season long. And I'm just trying to pull up what his true shooting in the playoffs was. It was still it was fifty-four, so not great. Um, and I, I do think we'll see it be higher than that. But even if, if fifty-four is his sort of baseline against the best defensive, you know, opposition, I still think that that's like a pretty good spot to be. Um, and his turnover percentage in the playoffs actually went down from 10.5 to 6.3. So that is good as well. And if he can sort of hone that, like the ball security stuff in, in a little bit as well, that's going to be obviously impair- paramount for how he develops the season two and how healthy the offense is with him soaking up so many possessions. Um, so, yeah, like if we look at that as the floor, what he did in the postseason, I think you're looking at a pretty good player. And look, The Raptors have been a really good offense for a very long time. They're usually top five to six to seven. Um, They've been top two or three the last few years. They've been excellent. I don't think it's going to be like that this year. Like, if I had to peg it, I'd probably say something like 11th or 12th, maybe just outside the top 10, just because there's going to be some nights where the shooting is off and there's going to be some nights where Siakam is off and he has a pretty crooked shooting line. There's going to be some of, like, the bad DeMar nights in there, I think, just because of the attention that's going to be paid to him. But I also think there are going to be some nights where his efficiency is ridiculous and it's and it's more Kawhi-like in terms of his efficiency. So I I have pretty high hopes for Pascal this year. Maybe like it's all just because it's so cool to have a homegrown guy who's this talented and this sort of out of nowhere and you just want to believe. But there's a lot of sort of reason to believe, I think, based on – what he's done so far in his career. And, you know, the, the assist percentage was also up in the playoffs last year. That's good. Um, like, the assist ratio, sorry. And that, that all matters. Like, what happened in the playoffs last season is such an insane gauntlet. that Like, unbelievable the competition he went up against defensively that I think it can only sort of help him figure things out for this year, and he's just going to run into, it's going to be like taking the the weight off the bat in the on-deck circle and walking up with the light bat. Like, you're not going to be up against those guys every single night when you're playing the Hawks or whatever random-ass team on a given night, and I think most nights he's really going to flourish in the regular season. Playoffs, a different story, and I don't really expect the Raptors to be a terribly potent offensive team in the playoffs with this current setup, unless someone really pops, but Uh, they still will have a very good defense. And that also is part of Siakam's game, right? Like, he is really, really talented defensively, maybe had some sort of miscues at times last year, but even then, he was one of the better defenders on a very, very good defensive team. And that is also sort of a a key to his development this season. Before we go into that, though, do you have any other notes on the offense and stuff you'd like to see from him and sort of what you think the end result's going to be?
3: Well, a couple of things I want to touch on based on what you said. Um, One is... You know, talking about him looking really good against the bad teams, the mediocre teams, the okay teams, uh, I think we're definitely going to see a lot of that because uh, I think he's good enough to completely take advantage of those teams. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the buzzer beater uh, against Phoenix comes to mind uh, and, you know, the huge game see had against Washington. But uh, I think when you look at uh, Washington and Atlanta, I should add, um, but I think when you look at uh, how you evaluate Siakam, and I guess this is more for uh, the front office evaluation in terms of assessing what he is as a player. Um, and I guess you know for the fans to maybe not enter panic mode in the postseason is if he has those games where he looks like an A one type of guy uh, against you know the mediocre teams. Uh, you know, see how he does against elite defensive teams against the best teams in the league as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know sort of maintain uh, sort of a bit of a leash on where your expectations are going and then in the playoffs understand that there will be sort of growing pains to go through again and you know just because you see him go through some challenges in the regular season expect those things to begin all over again in the postseason because everything will be so much more uh, ramped up and the attention to detail will be so much higher and the space that the Raptors will have to work with will be so much less um, and then your other point what was the last thing you said
2: oh god uh, something about the defense or the, uh, I, I have no idea <laughs> uh.
3: so um, yeah so, so, so you know we we. If i be be completely honest, we did see his defense drop-off um, as the playoffs wore on, and I yeah. think a big part of that was fatigue and the fact that he was the healthiest member of the team and played through uh, all of the regular season and the postseason uh, and played a lot of big minutes in the postseason as well. So I think the other interesting aspect of this to see is as he ta- as he shoulders a greater offensive burden, how much does that take away from him defensively? How, how, how good can he be defensively while also being asked to be the man uh, on offense.
2: Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I think maybe the way to sort of get around him using so much of his energy on offense this season is going to be not really asking him to guard the best guy on the other team the way he maybe would typically. I I think OG is going to draw the tough assignments most of the time. I think Norm Powell will, and I think Marcus Gasol will draw, draw the tough big man assignments. And the NBA is such that right now, the power forward spot is a little weird in that usually you can kind of hide a guy at that spot and it's not really going to burn you all that much. And it's not like you're hiding Pascal Siakam; he's not J.J. Redick out there. He's a really good defender. But I wonder if maybe they'll use him in more of like a free safety type role, where like he's kind of working. Like I feel like he could be like a monster of like weak side blocks and stuff like that, and just sort of like jumping passing lanes and sort of using the defensive duress that a guy like OG can put onto a guy on the ball to sort of turn into sort of opportunistic turnovers and stuff like that based on what the offensive player is forced to do in those situations. So, yeah, and I don't really expect him to make, like, all defense this year if he's going to be taking on such a crazy offensive burden, but I do think his tools are so just, like, tantalizing that it's going to be hard for him to not have an impact defensively, and they're just—it's going to have to be a really good defensive team if they want to— make any noise whatsoever, and Siakam's going to be a big part of that. He's going to have to switch on to smaller guys at certain times. I don't think they'll do much switching in the regular season, because why the hell would you? Um, that's not really all that necessary, and kind of can kind of build bad habits, I think, over the course of a long season, if you're only switching. But I think... You know that he's going to be sort of like a utility knife type of defender instead of like a constant every single possession you feel his defense it's going to be more of a oh yeah there's that really really good defender that's just kind of hanging out uh you know on the weak side waiting to come and swat a shot away or, or, or jump a passing lane does that make sense
3: yeah i totally hear you on that and i think now you got me thinking about this um Actually, I, I've already written a little bit about this in a piece that's coming in the next couple of days. Um, is you know, when you look at the Raptors' defensive approach, if they do give him more minutes at the three, does that you know, as much as Nick Nurse likes likes to be, a, it likes to have his guys get out in passing lanes and things like that, how aggressive can they be having both Marcus and Serge Ibaka on the court?
1: Yeah.
2: That's another—that's an interesting other subplot to Pascal's offense to me, too, is Mm -hmm. I don't know how much they're going to use that lineup. Like, that seems weird and not really the best way to get all the wings in. Like, there's a lot of wings who are going to need minutes. or not necessarily need minutes, but they're going to want to give them minutes just to see what they are. And when you can have Siakam play at the four, which is pretty much the thinnest spot on the team in terms of, like, depth— it yeah. just makes more sense to run him at the four more often that's kind of his position and also i think so much of siakam's effectiveness this season is going to be born out of who he's playing with and i think if you're playing him with that sort of twin towers front court you're clogging things up you're making things more difficult for him to operate in the places where he is really good already and yeah maybe you can run some like cool elevator door stuff and you know have some interesting pick and pop and pick and roll actions there but for the most part, I think you're just kind of asking for, like, a log jam if you're going to have both bigs on the floor. Like, Ibaka is better as a center. This is proven. This is just, like, canon at this point. And so that feels a little bit unnecessary, especially if it's going to come at the expense of Siakam, who I think is going to have to play with a lot of shooting. I think that starting five has enough of it, assuming it's OG and Norm to start there. And I'm assuming in the closing lineups you'll probably replace Norm with Fred in a lot of games. That has enough shooting, I think, to allow Siakam the room to survive, but if you start cramping the floor a little bit and you have a Ibaka out there or you have Rondé <laughs> out there playing the four next to Siakam at the three, you're really going to feel cramped because Siakam is not a guy who – like if you're sending multiple guys his way and not worrying about non-shooters, that's going to directly – lead to more turnovers and lead to bad decisions and lead to him sort of, he'll learn that stuff, I guess, but right away, I don't think in particular, it's really going to lead to really good results, so um, that's another concern I have with that big lineup you mentioned.
3: I think, um, I don't think we'll see too much of it, but I think we'll see enough of it uh, in preparation for the postseason, Mm -hmm. mainly because when I think of Philadelphia starting five. Yeah. And how big that team is with Horford and Embiid at the four and five. That is probably the one opponent I look at. And it's like, okay, maybe that's where you need Ibaka and Gasol playing together and Siakam at the three, then can go up against either, you know, Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, the Sixers loom large. There's no, no pun intended. I'm sorry. They're, so weird and goofy but they feel gettable almost and so I think that will be a matchup that they kind of look at and it you know talk themselves into being able to win so yeah maybe that is the case maybe they are preparing for the playoffs it seems weird to talk about this team preparing for the playoffs because it feels like they're not gonna win a title so what the hell's the point of preparing for the playoffs that's uh, that's a dumb way to go about it obviously but it's just championship brain I guess I don't know uh, <laughs> You're playing with house money. Yeah, it's – there's just all the house money just flying all over the floor. It's it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) God. And even, like, Siakam himself is house money in a way. Like, 27th pick who becomes this? Like, I know that's on Siakam and I know that's on the team for developing him and and all that stuff. But, man, it's really cool that they are in a position now where – yeah, Siakam's not Kawhi, never will be, but it's pretty cool that they have a guy who they can at least talk themselves into being a part of the future in some meaningful, perhaps very, very meaningful way. It's it's pretty cool the way it's all happened. I, uh, I look forward to the season. He's such a fascinating player. He's probably one of the most interesting players in the entire league this season, because how his trajectory plays out kind of affects a lot of things, and... You know, it affects how this Raptors team sort of approaches the season, probably. It affects how they approach the deadline. And it affects how they approach next summer and extensions for these guys in an already weak free agency class. It, it affects a lot of stuff. So I, frankly, look forward to Pascal Siakam, number one option. It's a <laughs> very much a question what it's going to look like, but I think it's going to be fun as hell to watch.
3: Yep, I concur.
2: And that seems like a good enough place place to leave it at. Uh, Vivek, thank you so much for coming on the show. Very much appreciate it. Uh, You are I think due to compete in the Lockdown Raptors Trivia Tournament very soon, so we will have you on probably next week to get your semifinal out of the way. uh, right, Yeah, because tomorrow uh, Josh Lewenberg and Dan Grant are going to be going at it for their semifinal for a chance to face the winner of John Chick and Vivek in the final. But until then, Vivek, where can people check out your work?
3: You can find me at Yahoo Sports Canada, and uh, you know tennis season is mostly done. Bianca Andreescu has a few more tournaments to play, so I'll sort of keep everyone posted on what's going on there. But for now, the Raptors are coming, and I will be doing all I can to keep up with them, and you can keep up with me on Yahoo Sports Canada and Twitter at VivekMJacob.
2: Right on, man. Uh, That's going to do it for today's show. You can find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all the places you get your podcasts. Uh, You can still buy We the Champs if you haven't bought it yet and you're yearning to relive the title glory, you can go to uh, Indigo. It's in Indigo right now. I I was at Indigo earlier this week and saw it there. It was pretty cool. Um, You can order it online as well from Indigo or TriumphBooks.com. Try to avoid Amazon. Amazon's evil. Uh, But otherwise, order it wherever you want to get it, and I would very much appreciate it. It's a lot of fun to relive what happened. Because, man, that all happened. It's crazy. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be beginning all anew once again. Saturday is media day. They go off to Japan pretty soon. And uh, less than a month from now, we got regular season games to talk about. So that is awesome. And Vivek will be with us once again all the way through the season because he's the best and we love him. And uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you on Friday with another episode of Locked on Raptors.
0: Hey, Prime members.